Amen. Good morning. Tomorrow we have our topic that I've been announcing, how to have spiritual conversations with secular people. Whenever we present that topic, it is packed out. It doesn't even matter who the presenter is. And what it tells me is that our members, our Avenus members, want to know how to communicate with people who don't know Jesus. Sometimes we don't do it because we're afraid we might say the wrong thing or we feel a little uncomfortable. And so tomorrow I'm going to be talking about several approaches, one I'm sure that you've probably never heard of before that is actually very effective, highly effective at building relationships and and connecting spiritually with unchurched people. So be, be sure to be here for that tomorrow. Again, that's one of our favorite topics that we present as we travel around the country and around the world talking about church planting. We have breakout seminars, and that's one of our topics and, and the one that has the biggest interest. But today I want to be looking at the topic with you, how to, how to step up and step out. And it's based on this key verse here in Galatians 5, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does it look like in our lives when we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit? But of course we have to have a quiz first. So let's go ahead and go through the four quiz questions. What dangerous thing did Pastor Tom, that's myself, what did I do in Israel? Hitchhiking, tried to kill a snake, climbed the western wall, or milked a camel? There we go. What child's party game is an illustration of trying to chart our own course, our own direction in life? Is that an obstacle course? Pin the tail on the donkey, dizzy bat race, or an egg toss? Where was Paul when the man from Macedonia appeared to him in a vision? Was he in Rome, in Bithynia, in Asheville, or in Troas? I think you can eliminate one of those right away, right? Who was the first convert to Christianity in Philippi? Was it the Philippian jailer? The poor slave girl, Lydia, or was it Timothy? I want to share with you an experience that I had where my steps were misguided. Now, when we say misguided steps, that means we're headed the wrong direction, right? We're going someplace we either didn't intend to go or we know that we should not go. In this case, it was unintentional. Uh, I was attending Newbell College and had uh, made a number of friends there, and I was not accustomed to the, the cloud cover that comes over when winter starts. And uh, basically, you miss sight of the sun, and they say you can count the number of days you can see the sun on one hand during the winter in, Mich- in, uh, in England. And so, being from the Pacific Northwest, particularly the sunny, the drier side of the state there where the sun is seen often... In fact, I, I lived in Wenatchee, Washington at one point that has over 300 sun, days of sunshine a year. I was not used to these gray skies, and so I said, I need to find some place to go to get some sun during Christmas break. The problem was that I was on a student budget, which means I didn't have a lot of money. So I had to find a cheap ticket somewhere, and lo and behold, some friends and I found a ticket. We found some tickets to go to Israel. And so uh, we, we flew into Israel, into Tel Aviv there, and we began our tour of the Holy Land. Again, not much of a budget, uh, sleeping in the cheapest places we could find. In fact, one night we even slept on the ground. Not a good idea. Uh, in fact, it was such a bad idea that we decided we didn't want to do that again. 
And so no cover at all, just laid down on the ground, went to sleep. We had no money. And so uh, in, in any case, as we uh, made our tour up to the Sea of Galilee, I remember cresting over a hill and coming down and just being impressed with the size of it. And, and my mind is becoming filled with all these biblical themes. And we uh, went to the city there and spent some time. And then we began walking along the Sea of Galilee. And as we walked along, even I began thinking about the storms that would come up. And sure enough, a gust of wind came up and it blew the hat off my head. And, and I was looking around for several minutes trying to find where it went. And so all of these uh, memories and, and, and uh, thoughts of, of Scripture that I'd read and and, and how Jesus must have experienced it there and his disciples, feeling my mind. And I did not realize, first of all, how far away we'd come from the, the city that we left. Uh, and I also had not noticed that a storm was brewing in the skies. And as I looked at the storm coming in, as I looked the distance way away from the city now, I said, we, there's no way we can walk back there quickly enough. Uh, and it's not the direction we want to go anyhow. But we can't get back there quickly enough to find a, a safe place to stay. We need to do something else in order to find shelter soon. But we need to find something that's cheap. And so we decided to do something very unsafe at that moment. We stuck out our thumbs to hitchhike in a foreign country, not knowing the language. Very foolish. I'm glad my parents didn't know I was doing this because I was only 19, 20 years old at the time. So I put my thumb out along with my buddies, and sure enough, somebody pulled along to pick us up. They began driving us around the Sea of Galilee. We crossed over the Jordan River, and my mind is still filled with biblical themes. And, uh, and shortly after that, they, they, they halted the vehicle and said, we're going straight on. If you go up the road one kilometer, you're going to find a youth hostel. It's a cheap place to stay. We thanked them, so appreciative, got out, and we began to walk up this road as the cloud cover uh, comes in, the, the stormy clouds, it's not looking good. It's very ominous. But we're walking quickly. We only have to walk one kilometer. We can do that in, in five, ten minutes at the most. As we walked, we noticed there was no civilization whatsoever, let alone any kind of town or village. There was nothing. And we kept walking, kept walking. Sure, we're going to find a moment. Soon the raindrops began to fall. We would hear noises overhead. We weren't sure what it was. It sounded perhaps a bit like a helicopter, but we couldn't see because of the cloud cover that had come. And uh, pretty soon the rain began to really fall intensely, and uh, we had to find some kind of shelter. So uh, like this little monkey here, we found some banana leaves, and, uh, and we hid underneath some banana leaves, but there's one problem with hiding under banana leaves, and that is they fill up, and when they fill up, they dump out. So by this time it's dark, and we're underneath these banana leaves, and uh, they're dumping water on us from time to time. And we are absolutely miserable. We cannot believe this bad situation that we've ended up in. So we decided to go back out to the road and do the one thing that we knew how to do well, and that was to hitchhike again. Only, the only problem was this was a, an abandoned road. It seemed like there was no cars that would, would cross. And so finally we saw some headlights coming our way. We, we stuck our thumbs out, and the car just went right past us and sprayed us with water. I don't even know if they saw us. So he said, this is a, oh, we were desperate. So finally he said, the next car, we will stop the next car. And so when the next car finally appeared, the headlights coming our way, we jumped in the middle of the road and we, we waved them down. And they stopped. They said, get in the car quick. They said, you guys are crazy. So we know we're, this is, oh, we're wet. It's, he said, you are in a military zone. 
the instructions. Did you hear noises overhead? We said, yeah, those are helicopters. They're patrolling the area. Their instructions are to shoot before they ask questions. You are lucky to be alive. Now, we feel blessed by God to be alive, right? The cloud cover may have saved our lives. But the storm coming certainly helped to save our lives, didn't Hiding under the banana leaves there as the helicopters were going over. Very dangerous situation. Misguided steps. We thought we were going the right direction, but we ended up in a very dangerous place. You know, as we look at the record of Scripture, there are many stories of individuals whose steps were misguided, who headed the wrong direction. They went somewhere where they weren't supposed to be going. And uh, the first one I want to bring to our attention is that of Balaam. The princes uh, of Midian, they wanted uh, Balaam to come. Uh, Balak sent them to curse Israel. You remember the story, right? And God made it very clear as they came and made the request of Balaam to come and curse Israel. God said, you shall not go with him. Is that clear? Very clear statement, isn't it? Uh, but Balaam uh, said, said to them, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused me to give permission to go with you. So they go back, but they're sent back again to make a second request to Balaam. And as they come back, Balaam says these beautiful words, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Then comes a third invitation. This time, Balaam says, stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Had God made his intention clear for Balaam, he wasn't to go. And yet God respects our free choice, doesn't he? Sometimes we make choices that hurt ourselves, and God allows us to do it because we have free choice. And yet God had communicated very clearly his intention for Balaam. So God says this time, okay, Balaam, if the men come to call you, arise and go with them. But how did God really feel about that? We find out in Numbers twenty-two thirty-two. Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse. Another word that we could use there as we look at the translation of it is your way is contrary before me. Misguided steps. Balaam, you're headed in the wrong direction. And of course, we know in the end it cost his life, didn't it? Now, there's another character I want to look at in the Bible that's very famous for heading the wrong direction. Any idea who that might be? How about Jonah? God said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and crowd against it. Well, Jonah rose all right, but he didn't go to Nineveh. He headed to Tarshish. Take a look at the map there. Oh, there's Nineveh up there. He, he gets on a boat and he heads to Char- Tarshish. Opposite direction. Misguided steps. I'd like to give you an opportunity just to say out a name of a Bible character, another Bible character whose steps were misguided. King Saul. Saul. We think about King Saul, I I think of the case where he went to, uh, a couple cases where King Saul's steps were misguided. One is where he went to offer the sacrifice before Samuel showed up, right? Another one is he went to see the witch of Endor. He had banned witches from the country, and yet here he goes to see the witch rather than to seek God. Misguided steps for sure. Who else? Judas, absolutely, going to betray Jesus. Uh, and, and we could say even all of the disciples. Yeah, right, so trying to force Jesus' hand. But all of the disciples fled, and one of them went away so quickly, he went away naked, right? He ran away without his clothes on. 
So they were all headed the wrong direction, right? Who else can we think of in the Bible? David, he should have been out with his men at war. Instead, he's walking around on the housetop looking down, right? And got himself in trouble that way. Who else? I heard Achan. Sure, he went and stole the goods and hid them. Lot, yeah, he told, chose for himself what appeared to be the best place. We see him creeping toward the city of, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Pretty soon he's one of the officials sitting there in the gates, right? Uh, one that's very interesting to me, of course, is Samson. You know, where he goes off to find a Philistine woman to marry. That was not God's plan for Samson. But we can look at story after story in Scripture, and, and, and we can learn lessons by looking at these stories of biblical characters, people who love God, whose steps were headed in the wrong direction. Now, uh, I believe in life sometimes, when we chart our own path, pretty much every time we chart our own path, we end up where we didn't intend to be. I wonder if some of you have had those experiences in your life, where you weren't following the direction God wanted for you, you, what do you say, well, you zigged when you should have zagged, right? <laughs> and you went the wrong direction. And it ended up in a place that wasn't what you had hoped for. And those things are, are tremendously challenging in our lives. Uh, children uh, at birthday parties play a game sometimes called the dizzy bat race. And this, where you put a disc on the ground and you put your head on top of a bat and you spin around as fast as you can and then you start running. Well, you know what happens at that point. Sometimes you head the wrong direction. Most of the time you end up on the ground, right? Um, and that's what life is like without God's direction, without God's leading our lives. And unfortunately, some of us grow up as adults and we're still doing dizzy bat races with our life. We're still trying to push our way forward, to chart our own path rather than submitting to the path that God has in mind for us or seeking God's will clearly and trying to understand, God, what is your will in this and seeing what God wants us to do? Because God's will... Sometimes it's an adventure. Sometimes it's going to involve faith. And we may want to see how things work. And, and, and you know, we want to chart it all out and make sure things add up right and financially that it works. And it makes sense in terms of where we want to live and what we want to do with our family. And yet God may have something different in mind for us. And it may not make sense to us from a human perspective. And so we as adults still fight with this issue of trusting God. Because really that's ultimately what it um, boils down to, isn't it? Are we willing to trust God to lead us and trust his direction in our lives? The Apostle Paul learned to do that very clearly. And of course, as Saul, he was headed in the wrong direction, misguided steps. He was headed to throw uh, Christians into prison when, when God met him there on the Damascus Road. And yet he learned very clearly in his life how to be on, on a par with God's will, how to live his life in step with the Spirit. And he puts it this way in Philippians 4 verse 11. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Whatever state I am to be content. Now I'm going to give you a very literal translation, an incorrect translation of that verse, uh, and, and here it is. You see that uh, I have a, a, a picture of the United States there. Uh, Paul said whatever state he was in, he was going to be content, right? Whether that is in Florida. Did you see on the news yesterday a big, probably the biggest one, they said, in, in uh, Florida history. Right on a golf course, right? A big crocodile. How about uh, if you're from Oklahoma? Learn whatever state you're in to be content. Or California. 
Uh, how about uh, Washington State? That's the west side of Washington State. Minnesota, where the state bird is a mosquito. Now, I, I had to look long and hard uh, for North Carolina because, it's, you know, it's very beautiful here. But you have invented a couple of very, very unhealthy things here in the state. I don't know if you know that, but Krispy Kreme donuts originated in North Carolina, as did Pepsi. Yikes! Not great contributors to the well-being of human, humanity. Uh, how about Michigan? Ay, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the lake effect there. Well, you know that I was born in Texas, so I have to put Texas up here. Doesn't that look nice? Beautiful, isn't it? Well, the problem is that's only two months of the year. This is what it looks like the rest of the year. <laughs> so Paul says, whatever state I am, it meant, it meant whatever condition that he was in, whatever circumstance, in any and every situation, Paul learned that he could praise the Lord. It doesn't make sense otherwise unless, unless we know that Paul has this perspective. Look, for example, here that Paul is able to sing when he's in prison. Who sings when they're in prison? Paul was able to do that. Paul was able to praise God when he was under house arrest in Rome with, with Roman guards beside him. The, the Philippian believers are so concerned about Paul. He says, don't worry. God's used this to, to spread the gospel to the, to the whole, whole royal household, right? And then you remember about the shipwreck, the, the, the ship that was about ready to, to uh, be torn asunder. Paul says, every person's going to be saved here. Let's, let's have a meal and let's, let's have a praise session together. Paul knew that he was exactly where God wanted him to be. And I think that's a, a great goal of life, is to know that we're exactly where God wants us to be, doing exactly what God wants us to do. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want to look with you at a, uh, for a moment at uh, one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts, and in fact of all Scripture, because it really is a clear passage in terms of how we can determine God's will and God's leading in our lives. It's found in Acts 16. The background of this passage, uh, of this experience, is that this is Paul's second missionary journey, which means he was doing two things. Paul was going back to visit the churches that he started five years previously on his first missionary journey. He was going back to encourage them, to support them. But he was also looking for places to plant new churches. So it was kind of a dual purpose of that second missionary journey. Paul had a ministry team with him that included Silas and Timothy. Later in Troas, they're going to be joined by Dr. Luke. So there, there'll be four of them on this missionary journey. And uh, as we look at this passage, we find some very unusual things begin to happen. Uh, picking up in Acts 16, verse 6, and reading on through verse 10. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now this is talking about Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. After they come down to Messiah, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Very strange. They're wanting to go and plant churches. They're wanting to start new work. They're wanting to share the gospel, and doors seem to be closing. So passing by Messiah, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, here is Paul's team. Paul, whose theme in life, he says this very clearly, For me to live is Christ. 
If, Jesus, if, if Paul didn't have Jesus, he said, my life is like rubbish without Christ. And you know the word rubbish there? It's like dung. It's the only time it's used in Scripture, skybalon. He said, without Christ, my life is like dung, right? Like refuse. Everything else is worthless without Christ. That was Paul's perspective. A very godly man. Timothy, who was referred to Paul as a true son in the faith. In this case, somebody that Paul is mentoring, a younger believer, but on fire for Jesus. And then you have Silas, who is identified by Paul as a prophet. So this is a group of men who are able to hear clearly from God, and yet God is telling them, don't go there, don't go there. They're not getting clarity, so finally they come down to Troas, and God appears in some, er, some ter- type of vision that Paul has where this man from Macedonia, God answers him through this vision by a man from Macedonia appearing to him. So, as we look at the way God leads, God leads in a couple of different ways, and one of them is he guides us through hindrance. We could refer to this as closing doors. When he says here, no, don't go to Asia Minor, no, don't go to Bithynia, and so on. And so divine direction comes at Troas, When this vision appears, a man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So my question for you to discuss in groups of two or three is who was this man from Macedonia that appeared to Paul in this vision? Go ahead and discuss that for a moment. See what you come up with. Okay, let's come back together. How many believe that it was Jesus who appeared to Paul in that vision? Okay, there's always some that believe that might have been Jesus. Uh, The question I have on that answer, uh, and I don't want you to be afraid to raise your hand on any of these, um, but the question I would have on that is, had Paul met Jesus before? In fact, he had met him on the Damascus Road, and he was clearly able to identify that that was Jesus. So in this case, I believe if it was Jesus that appeared to him, Paul would have been able to identify that Jesus appeared in some form and uh, invited him to go to Macedonia. How many uh, came up with the idea that it might have been an angel? Okay, that's almost everybody here. Uh, The question I have on that one is uh, whether angels were actively involved there in the early church such that Paul would have been able to identify an angel. And as we think about Peter... Uh, being led out of prison by an angel, he clearly identifies that it was an angel, not a man, that led him out of prison. So I want to really stick with the literal reading of the text that says it was a man, a specific man from Macedonia that appeared to him in this vision. But we need to unpack, to unpack it a little bit further to determine who this man might have been. So let's continue here and look at where did Paul go as a response to this vision that says go to Macedonia. He's in Troas when the vision takes place. 
we know that Luke joins him there in Troas, and they set sail over toward Macedonia, and he ends up in a particular city. Do you remember which city that was? It was the city of Philippi. And so that is where he ended up. And what was Paul's strategy when he arrived at any new city? What did Paul do first in order to share the gospel? He goes to the synagogue first, right? And so Paul and his uh, three traveling companions, they end up there in city center Philippi, downtown, and, uh, and they're looking for the Jewish synagogue. In fact, we're told that they spent several days exploring around the city, and they were unsuccessful at finding a Jewish synagogue. Why? Because there wasn't one there. Now, why was there not a Jewish synagogue in Philippi? The historian Josephus tells us that it took 10 Jewish men who were believers to justify the building of a synagogue. So evidently, there were not 10 Jewish men who were believers that actually lived in Philippi. In fact, they were not able to find one Jewish man who was a believer that lived in the city of Philippi. So there's no man. Here's a man that says, come help us. And yet it was not a Jewish man that said, come and help us. Come and share the gospel. It was not a Jewish man. It was a man from Macedonia, but evidently it was not a Jewish man. So Paul finally identifies some believers um, that are meeting by the Gangites River, and it's a group of women. So again, there is still no man. Here's a man saying, come help. Uh, there's no synagogue. There's no Jewish believers. The only believers they find are, would be a group of ladies who are meeting to pray on the Sabbath day. So there's still a mystery here. So here's what I have to conclude. Let's take a look here at, uh, at my conclusion. Do you see the vision there? I believe it was the Philippian jailer that appeared to Paul in his dream. And it makes sense when we look at the fact that Paul was able to sing when he was in prison. If he had seen this man in the vision before and he knows he's going to be the first convert, uh, the first male convert, right, there in Philippi, certainly that would have given Paul reason to sing. He'd say, you know, this guy, he thinks he's guarding us, but just in a few moments, he's going to accept Jesus and be baptized. Pretty incredible. Now, we don't have evidence from Scripture solidly to say, yes, it was the Philippian jailer. Neither does Ellen White uh, lend any further light on this. However, I believe it is safe to conclude that the person that appeared, there, there he is, take a look at that. There he is watching Paul and Silas in jail and they're singing away even though they'd been beaten. Uh, they're enjoying themselves because they know that all of this is putting them exactly where God wanted them to be, right? But the plea was come over and help us. Well, who's us, this man that is appearing? I believe we can safely say that the man who appeared to Paul in a dream was somebody who was unchurched somebody who is not a Christian, who is saying, come and help us. We need someone to come and share the gospel with us. I believe from the text we can clearly say that this was an unchurched person. Whether it was the Philippian jailer or not, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was. But we can say it was somebody who did not know Christ, who was saying, we need someone to come and share the gospel with us. That was essential. I believe the unchurched are calling out someone like Frankie, who's a second-generation Hispanic that's caught between two cultures. Perhaps it's someone like Willie, who doesn't have a bed to call his own. Or Sarah, who's an exhausted and financially stretched single mom. Or perhaps it's someone like Megan, who's a co-ed, a university student, trying to make sense of life. Or Terrence, 
a teenage boy growing up in the hood desperately needing a role model, or perhaps Stan, a Burmese refugee, not prepared for winter and trying to support his wife and four young children. I believe sometimes the Macedonian call will even transcend oceans. The unchurched, my friends, are crying out, saying, come help us. We need someone to share the gospel with us. Ellen White puts it this way, there are open fields inviting workers to enter. The harvest is ripe and the earnest Macedonian cry for labors is heard from every part of the world. We have no great men to send. Isn't that sad? We have no great men to send. She says, we can't send Mark Finley. We can't send Carlton Bird. We can't send David Ashrick. We can't send Alejandro Bullion. We can't send Roger Hernandez. But fortunately, the quote continues. But, this is a good but. <laughs> we talked about the bad one on Monday, right? But there are many, how many? Many single-hearted, I like this, sons and daughters of God, men and women, who will take hold of the work at any place, and God will give them wisdom if they are meek and lonely followers of Jesus. What Ellen White is saying here is that the Macedonian call is for you. It's not for the people we consider great men. It's for you. It's for each one of us to respond to. Now, I want to share with you a couple stories of individuals who I have met who responded to the Macedonian call and have inspired my heart. The first one I want to share with you is a lady by the name of Beulah James. Beulah is the lady pictured in the middle there. Uh, this is her friend. I met them in Australia. Beulah James met a lady in a marketplace. And uh, she was sharing, witnessing for her faith, talking to people about Jesus. And this lady said to her, when are you going to come to my village and share Jesus with my, with my small village? She lived in a village of about 500 people in the Australian outback. Well, um, Beulah, uh, you know, listened to her concern, listened to her request, uh, marked down the name of the city, wrote down this lady's name, but she kind of just put it off, and she kept putting it off, and kept putting it off. Here this lady requested, come to my, my little town of 500 people, and, and Beulah wasn't going. The Holy Spirit would occasionally bring it to her mind, you need to go there. Eight years passed by. One morning, Beulah is awakened with an impression, go now. So she says, okay, I've got to go now. This is, I've waited eight years. I've got to go now. Here she's been taking her own path, hasn't she? For eight years. The Holy Spirit's saying, you need to go to that town. And for eight years, she's going a different direction. But now the Holy Spirit says, go now. So she gets a hold of her, her friend here that's also in the picture. And she says, we need to go to this town. I don't even know where it's at. I know the general direction. Now, recognize this is in the outback. This is remote. 500 people in this town. She said... The signs were all messed up, trying to drive there. She wasn't sure where to go. She got, for a moment, she thought she wasn't going to find it. She was lost. And finally, she ends up in this town, this town by the name of Wilmoringle. At the corner in that town was the lady that had asked her eight years, standing in the corner of that town, right in the street corner. As she pulled her car into town, the lady said to her, you've finally come, haven't you? 
after eight years, the Holy Spirit knew that that lady would be standing there at that moment. Well, Beulah began to start Bible studies, meeting in the park there in this small town. And within seven months, 23 people were meeting in a a house that somebody's letting them use to meet in. This is fresh. This is new. I just heard this story in February. This is just happening now. Responding to what the Holy Spirit is directing. I don't know how many of us would want to go to a place that looks quite like that, would we? Not quite an adventure we'd want to go on. But when the Holy Spirit is taking us there, we need to go, don't we? I want to share with you a story about another lady that's a, a personal hero of mine. Her name is Phyllis Pearson. Phyllis in this picture right here is 79 years old. Anybody here within three or four years of that age? Yeah, we have a number here that, that fit that age category. So I want to share this particular story. Because at 76 years of age, Phyllis Pearson was visiting her son, who's a pastor in uh, Houston, Texas. In fact, he went with me on that trip to Israel, and he shares the same story about being caught in the military zone. So his mom knows the story very well, and, and she knows of me uh, also infamously from that story. But uh, she's there visiting her son in Houston, Texas, and uh, we're having a church planting event there at their church, and she attends a seminar that I'm giving. And I'm thinking how nice of my friend's mom to come attend my seminar. But she was attending because she intended to go back and start a church, 76 years old. She'd already started three churches. She felt God impressing her. She needed to go back and start another church. But where's she going to start the church? She had a rental house. And uh, this house, uh, she'd been renting out for some time. And she decided that she was tired of renting it out. The, The renters were going to be leaving. She decided that she would turn that rental house into a church plant. Well, now the challenge is that rental house is sitting right in the middle of a Muslim community there in London. But that didn't stop her. She said, the Holy Spirit is leading me to plant a church here in this house. And so they have health expos right in front of that house. And they have up to 100 people, close to 100 people, Muslims from that community that will come and be ministered to with health ministry right there at that house. I went to visit it three three years after they started, and the house was full of people who are learning about Jesus and being ministered to by this 79-year-old lady. So a card's been passed out to you, and I want to encourage you to take a moment to fill it out. Maybe the next step for you is to start a house church or to start a church. Maybe it's something else that God is calling you to do. But I want to challenge us that the greatest adventure that we can be on in life is to be exactly where God wants us to be. We can have, we'll have no regrets, we'll have peace in our life, and we'll be doing something that will be making an eternal difference because we're following God's will for our lives. So encourage you to fill that out. Pastor Brad will collect that as we, as we conclude. He'll collect those at the back. But please fill this out. We'll be making another appeal on, uh, on Friday as well. Um, tomorrow again, our, our, our topic is spiritual conversations with secular people. On Friday, I'm going to give you a tour of exciting church plants here in the United States. One of them I'm mentioning is right here in North Carolina, all through the United States and around the world. Uh, I want to share with you the story about Miracle Rock, uh, an amazing story that I just uh, encountered in the country of Laos. I was just over there in early March. Uh, church planting, seeing people reach in miraculous ways for Jesus. But as we, as we close here, I want to uh, identify the second way that God indicates his will for our lives. The first way is through hindrance, closing doors. 
But when Paul, it says here, when he came down to Troas, it says this. Do you remember when he was in Troas, what happened? He had this dream. The Macedonian man appeared to him, right? So he says, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. A door was opened to me by the Lord. So the question I have for you today is, what door is God opening to you? God leads us in a couple of different ways here that we read about in this passage. And there's other ways that we find in Scripture as well. But this idea of open doors and closed doors, did you know that came from the story of the church plant in Philippi? That that came from the vision of the Macedonian man? That's where we get the idea that God closes and opens doors. That is a legitimate way that God leads us in our lives to express his will for us. The thing we need to remember is when God closes a door, let's not try to kick the door in, right? Let's take that as God's direction, God's leading in our lives because God will have an open door for us somewhere and we want to only walk through the door that God opens, not one that we force open ourselves. Very important to be in touch with God's will uh, regarding uh, his leading in our lives. So here again is the challenge that I'm bringing to you each day this week, the extreme hospitality challenge. This is an opportunity to open your door. This is something to pray about and say, God, who do you want me to open my door to? Who do you want us to open our door to, to welcome into our home? And so here's the challenge during the month of June to invite an unchurched person or family or non-Avenist to your home for a meal, a barbecue, or a picnic. There's the challenge. Every day I'm going to be making this challenge. And, and I pray that not only will that happen in the month of June, but every month you'll make a regular practice of not just inviting your friends, not just inviting other Christians, not just inviting other Adventists from your home church, but inviting strangers, people you don't know as well. Remember, hospitality is a love of strangers, right? Inviting people you don't know as well, the unchurched, those that don't have, uh, don't believe as we do. So again, that's, that's the challenge I want to bring to you, but we have to conclude here with our quiz. So let's see how we did on our quiz. What dangerous thing did I do in Israel? Hitchhiking. It would be interesting to try to milk a camel. I've never tried that one before, but I thought that sounded kind of fun. Uh, I've killed snakes before, and certainly I think you'd be arrested if you climbed the western wall, wouldn't you? All right. What child's party game is an illustration of trying to chart our own course in life? The dizzy bat race. Where was Paul when the man from Macedonia appeared to him in a vision? He was in Troas. Who was the first convert to Christianity in Philippi? A little bit of a trick question here. I didn't say which man was the first convert because Lydia was the first convert, right? In fact, Lydia, very interestingly, is from one of those cities, uh, from one of the regions where the door was closed that Paul was not able to go to. She was a cross-cultural. She was an immigrant to the city of Philippi. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes you have people that didn't meet Jesus in the country that they live in and they move, they immigrate to North Carolina, South Carolina. And that's where they meet Jesus. That's what happened in the case of Lydia. A closed door to where she lived, but she had immigrated to Philippi, and that's where she found Jesus. So she was actually the first convert. All right, uh, here's my contact information. Happy if you'd like to uh, email any questions, any comments. Uh, also, we have uh, where I work there at North American Division, we have a lot of resources to help you uh, share your faith to help you with uh, training in the area of evangelism. So I encourage you to go there and take a look at our website as well and see some of the resources 
that we have available in the area of church growth in particular. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we close. Dear Lord, we want to only go through the doors that you open. We want to live our lives in complete surrender to your will. We recognize that many times our steps in life are misguided. They're misguided because we've tried to chart our own course. We've tried to make decisions that in our human wisdom we think are good decisions. Lord, forgive us for times when we've done this and we have not depended on you to lead us, for you to guide us, for you to make it clear which door you would like to open for us. When you open that door, may we gladly walk through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.